Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I am your editor, producer, host, and all-around person who does... Thank you for listening. As always, the show is brought to you by bunnieslippers.com. I just have to say, the Highland Cow Slippers continue to keep my feet warm as I record. Oh man. Woo, baby. And hopefully in October, I'll be throwing a pair out into... Uh, some panel group at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Hopefully that's going on in October. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope everyone's staying clean. And when you're out and about, staying sterile. I don't know. Hey, just keep your brain going. Listen to some Oz. <coughs> I, I wonder what happens if, if uh, you sync uh, this podcast up with... Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, or who? Maybe if you uh, play the podcast while you watch Live at Pompeii. I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> um, I, I don't mean to laugh at my own jokes, but there's no one else here too. So yeah, um, hope you checked out and enjoyed David Heath talking about Wizard of Oz and pop culture. And coming up soon, we're going to have Ken Height talking about The Wizard of Oz. I should have done a special where I put them together, but I didn't think about that. Oh, man. I fell down some stairs the other day. I hurt my ankle and my wrist. It's... I'm, I'm finally getting this all out at the last minute, but yeah. So, hey, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this week. This is the final week of Oz. This is the fifth story of... Dorothy Gale? Yeah, Dorothy Gale. Okay, so... But there's a ton more Oz books out there. There is seriously an insane amount of Oz books. They kept writing them. Not just... Uh, like, um, kind of like the Oz... Kind of like the Oz Society approves fan fiction kind of stuff. It's a ton of stuff out there. I, I, I recommend checking out the artwork at least. It's, it's very cool, interesting stuff. And... Yeah, Wizard of Oz, it's fun, it's, I enjoy it, Hope, oh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and you've made it through the five books, I can't remember what next month is, but it's gonna be fun, and also, don't forget to check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, coming out on Tuesday of this week, and we're gonna be talking about a certain region of France that Clark Ashton Smith wrote about, and what else can we think? Yeah, no, remember to subscribe, listen, uh, tell your friends about it, and that's the best way you can help the show is rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else that podcasts are found, because that's what's helpful. Here we go. Chapter 19. How Bunnyberry Welcomed the Strangers Dorothy left Bunbury the same way she had entered it, and when they were in the forest again, she said to Belina, I never thought that things good to eat could be so disagreeable. Often I've eaten things that tasted good but were disagreeable afterward, returned the yellow hen. I think, Dorothy, if edibles are going to act badly, it's better before than after you eat them. Perhaps you're right, said the little girl with a sigh. But what shall we do now? Let us follow the path back to the signpost, suggested Bellina. That will be better than getting lost again. Why, we're lost anyhow, declared Dorothy. But I guess you're right about going back to that signpost, Bellina. They returned along the path to the place where they had first found it, and at once took the other road to Bunnyberry. 
This road was a mere narrow strip, worn hard and smooth, but not wide enough for Dorothy's feet to tread. Still, it was a guide, and the walking through the forest was not at all difficult. Before long they reached a high wall of solid white marble, and the path came to an end at this wall. At first Dorothy thought there was no opening at all in the marble, but on looking closely she discovered a small square door about on a level with her head, and underneath this closed door was a bell-push. Near the bell-push a sign was painted in neat letters upon the marble, and the sign read, No Admittance, Except on Business. This did not discourage Dorothy, however, and she rang the bell. Pretty soon a bolt was cautiously withdrawn, and the marble door swung slowly open. Then she saw it was not really a door, but a window, for several brass bars were placed across it, being set fast in the marble and so close together that the little girl's fingers might barely go between them. Back of the bars appeared the face of a white rabbit. A very sober and sedate face, with an eyeglass held in his left eye and attached to a cord in his buttonhole. "'Well, what is it?' asked the rabbit sharply. "'I'm Dorothy,' said the girl, "'and I'm lost, and—' "'State your business, please,' interrupted the rabbit. "'My business,' she replied, "'is to find out where I am, and to—' "'No one is allowed in Bunnyberry without an order or a letter of introduction "'from either Ozma of Oz or Glinda the Good,' announced the rabbit. "'So that settles the matter.' "'And he started to close the window. "'Wait a minute,' cried Dorothy. "'I've got a letter from Ozma.' "'From the ruler of Oz?' asked the rabbit doubtfully. "'Of course. Ozma's my best friend, you know.' "'And I'm a princess myself,' she announced earnestly. "'Um, ha! Uh, let me see your letter,' returned the rabbit, as if he still doubted her. So she hunted in her pocket, and found the letter Ozma had given her. Then she handed it through the bars to the rabbit, who took it in his paws and opened it. He read it aloud in a pompous voice, as if to let Dorothy and Bellina see that he was educated and could read writing.' The letter was as follows. It will please me to have my subjects greet Princess Dorothy, the bearer of this royal missive, with the same courtesy and consideration they would extend to me. Ah, uh, hum, it is signed Ozma of Oz, continued the rabbit, and is sealed with the great seal of the Emerald City. Well, 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 how strange, how remarkable. What are you going to do about it? inquired Dorothy impatiently. "'We must obey the royal mandate,' replied the rabbit. "'We are subjects of Ozma of Oz, and we live in her country. Also we are under the protection of the great sorceress Glinda the Good, who made us promise to respect Ozma's commands.' "'Then may I come in?' she asked. "'I'll open the door,' said the rabbit. He shut the window and disappeared, but a moment afterward a big door in the wall opened and admitted Dorothy to a small room which seemed to be a part of the wall and built into it. Here stood the rabbit she had been talking with, and now that she could see all of him, she gazed at the creature in surprise. He was a good-sized white rabbit with pink eyes, much like all other white rabbits, but the astonishing thing about him was the manner in which he was dressed. He wore a white satin jacket, 
embroidered with gold and having diamond buttons. His vest was rose-colored satin with tourmaline buttons. His trousers were white to correspond with the jacket, and they were baggy at the knees, like those of a zouave, being tied with knots of rose ribbons. His shoes were of white plush with diamond buckles, and his stockings were rose silk. The richness and even magnificence of the rabbit's clothing made Dorothy stare at the little creature wonderingly. Toto and Bellina had followed her into the room, and when he saw them, the rabbit ran to a table and sprang upon it nimbly. Then he looked at the three through his monocle and said, "'These companions, Princess, cannot enter Bunbury with you.' "'Why not?' asked Dorothy. "'In the first place, they would frighten our people who dislike dogs above all things on earth, and, secondly, the letter of the royal Ozma does not mention them.' "'But they're my friends,' persisted Dorothy, "'and go wherever I go.' "'Not this time,' said the rabbit decidedly. "'You yourself, Princess, are a welcome visitor, since you come so highly recommended. But unless you consent to leave the dog and the hen in this room, I cannot permit you to enter the town.' "'Never mind us, Dorothy,' said Bellina. "'Go inside and see what the place is like.' You can tell us about it afterward, and Toto and I will rest comfortably here until you return. That seemed the best thing to do, for Dorothy was curious to see how the rabbit people lived, and she was aware of the fact that her friends might frighten the timid little creatures. She had not forgotten how Toto and Bellina had misbehaved in Bunbury, and perhaps the rabbit was wise to insist on their staying outside the town. "'Very well,' she said. "'I'll go in alone. "'I suppose you're the king of this town, aren't you?' "'No,' answered the rabbit. "'I'm merely the keeper of the wicket, "'and a person of little importance. "'Although I try to do my duty, "'I must now inform you, princess, "'that before you enter our town "'you must consent to reduce.' "'Reduce what?' asked Dorothy. "'Your size. "'You must become the size of the rabbits, "'although you may retain your own form.' "'Wouldn't my clothes be too big for me?' she inquired. "'No, they will reduce when your body does.' "'Can you make me smaller?' asked the girl. "'Easily,' returned the rabbit. "'And will you make me big again when I'm ready to go away?' "'I will,' said he. "'All right, then. I'm willing,' she announced. The rabbit jumped from the table and ran, or rather hopped, to the further wall, where he opened a door so tiny that even Toto could scarcely have crawled through it. "'Follow me,' he said. Now almost any other little girl would have declared that she could not get through so small a door, but Dorothy had already encountered so many fairy adventures that she believed nothing was impossible in the land of Oz. So she quietly walked toward the door, and at every step, she grew smaller and smaller, until by the time the opening was reached she could pass through it with ease. Indeed, as she stood beside the rabbit, who sat upon his hind legs and used his paws as hands, her head was just about as high as his own. Then the keeper of the wicket passed through, and she followed, after which the door swung shut and locked itself with a sharp click. Dorothy found herself in a city so strange and beautiful that she gave a gasp of surprise. 
the high marble wall extended all around the place and shut out all the rest of the world. And here were marble houses of curious forms, most of them resembling overturned kettles, but with delicate slender spires and minarets running far up into the sky. The streets were paved with white marble, and in front of each house was a lawn of rich green clover. Everything was as neat as wax, the green and white contrasting prettily together. But the rabbit people were, after all, the most amazing things Dorothy saw. The streets were full of them, and their costumes were so splendid that the rich dress of the Keeper of the Wicked was commonplace when compared with the others. Silks and satins of delicate hues seemed always used for material, and nearly every costume sparkled with exquisite gems. But the lady rabbits outshone the gentlemen rabbits in splendor, and the cut of their gowns was really wonderful. They wore bonnets, too, with feathers and jewels in them, and some wheeled baby carriages in which the girl could see wee bunnies. Some were lying asleep, while others lay sucking their paws and looking around them with big pink eyes. As Dorothy was no bigger in size than the grown-up rabbits, she had a chance to observe them closely before they noticed her presence. Then they did not seem at all alarmed, although the little girl naturally became the center of attraction and regarded her with great curiosity. "'Make way!' cried the keeper of the wicked in a pompous voice. "'Make way for Princess Dorothy, who comes from Ozma of Oz!' Hearing this announcement, the throng of rabbits gave place to them on the walks, and as Dorothy passed along they all bowed their heads respectfully. Walking thus through several handsome streets, they came to a square in the center of the city. In this square were some pretty trees and a statue in bronze of Glinda the Good, while beyond it were the portals of the royal palace, an extensive and imposing building of white marble covered with a filigree of frosted gold. End of chapter 19 Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying Emerald City of Oz. And just a reminder, it really helps if you... You don't have to donate money, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go to wherever you find this show and just review it. Give it a couple of stars. Give it, well, more than a couple of stars. I mean, at least three or four. And, you know, always say something... Not always. Geez, I don't want to tell you what to do. But say something nice. I don't know. There's people who don't like the first three minutes and are, like, really mean about it. And, uh... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's not... Anyway. Just, just... It helps the show, and it gets me money for advertising, so I don't have to do this in the middle of the show. All right. Thank you very much, and hope you enjoy the next 15 to 20 minutes left of the show. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. How Dorothy Lunched with a King A line of rabbit soldiers was drawn up before the palace entrance, and they wore green and gold uniforms with high shakos upon their heads and held tiny spears in their hands. The captain had a sword and a white plume in his shako. "'Salute!' called the keeper of the wicket. "'Salute, Princess Dorothy, who comes from Ozma of Oz!' "'Salute!' yelled the captain, and all the soldiers promptly saluted. 
They now entered the great hall of the palace, where they met a gaily-dressed attendant, from whom the keeper of the wicket inquired if the king were at leisure. "'I think so,' was the reply. "'I heard his majesty blubbering and wailing as usual only a few minutes ago. If he doesn't stop acting like a crybaby, I'm going to resign my position here and go to work.' "'What's the matter with your king?' asked Dorothy, surprised to hear the rabbit attendant speak so disrespectfully of his monarch. "'Oh, he doesn't want to be king, that's all, and he simply has to,' was the reply. "'Come,' said the keeper of the wicket sternly. "'Lead us to his majesty, and do not air our troubles before strangers, I beg of you. "'Why, if this girl is going to see the king, he'll air his own troubles,' returned the attendant." "'That is his royal privilege,' declared the keeper. "'So the attendant led them into a room "'all draped with cloth of gold "'and furnished with satin-covered gold furniture. "'There was a throne in this room, "'set on a dais and having a big cushion seat, "'and on this seat reclined the rabbit king. "'He was lying on his back with his paws in the air "'and whining very much like a puppy-dog.' "'Your Majesty, Your Majesty, get up. Here's a visitor,' called out the attendant. The king rolled over and looked at Dorothy with one watery pink eye. Then he sat up and wiped his eyes carefully with a silk handkerchief and put on his jeweled crown, which had fallen off. "'Excuse my grief, fair stranger,' he said in a sad voice. "'You behold in me the most miserable monarch in all the world. "'What time is it, Blinken?' "'One o'clock, Your Majesty,' replied the attendant, "'to whom the question was addressed. "'Serve luncheon at once,' commanded the king. "'Luncheon for two, uh, that's for my visitor and me, "'and see that the human has some sort of food she's accustomed to.' "'Yes, Your Majesty,' answered the attendant, and went away.' "'Tie my shoe, Bristle,' said the king to the keeper of the wicket. "'Ah, me, how unhappy I am!' "'What seems to be worrying your majesty?' asked Dorothy. "'Why, it's this king business, of course,' he returned, while the keeper tied his shoe. "'I didn't want to be king of Bunnyberry at all, and the rabbits all knew it. "'So they elected me to save themselves from such a dreadful fate, I suppose. "'And here I am, shut up in a palace, when I might be free and happy.' "'Seems to me,' said Dorothy, "'it's a great thing to be a king.' "'Were you ever a king?' inquired the monarch. "'No,' she answered, laughing. "'Then you know nothing about it,' he said." "'I haven't inquired who you are, but it doesn't matter. "'While we're at luncheon, I'll tell you all my troubles. "'They're a great deal more interesting than anything you can say about yourself.' "'Perhaps they are, to you,' replied Dorothy. "'Luncheon is served,' cried Blinkham, throwing open the door, "'and in came a dozen rabbits in livery, "'all bearing trays which they placed upon the table, "'where they arranged the dishes in an orderly manner.' "'Now clear out, all of you,' exclaimed the king. "'Bristle, you may wait outside in case I want you.' When they had gone and the king was alone with Dorothy, 
He came down from his throne, tossed his crown into a corner, and kicked his ermine robe under the table. Sit down, he said, and try to be happy. It's useless for me to try, because I'm always wretched and miserable. But I'm hungry, and I hope you are. I am, said Dorothy. I've only eaten a wheelbarrow and a piano today. Oh, yes, and a slice of bread and butter that used to be a doormat. That sounds like a square meal, remarked the king, seating himself opposite her. But perhaps it wasn't a square piano, eh? Dorothy laughed. You don't seem so unhappy now, she said. But I am, protested the king, fresh tears gathering in his eyes. Even my jokes are miserable. I'm wretched, woeful, afflicted, distressed, and dismal as an individual can be. Oh, you're not sorry for me? No, answered Dorothy honestly. I can't say I am. Seems to me that for a rabbit you're right in clover. This is the prettiest little city I ever saw. Oh, the city is good enough, he admitted. Glinda the good sorceress made it for us because she was fond of rabbits. I don't mind the city so much, although I wouldn't live here if I had my choice. It is being king that has absolutely ruined my happiness. Why wouldn't you live here by choice? she asked. Because it is all unnatural, my dear. Rabbits are out of place in such luxury. When I was young, I lived in a burrow in the forest. I was surrounded by enemies and often had to run for my life. It was hard getting enough to eat at times, and when I found a bunch of clover, I had to listen and look for danger while I ate it. Wolves prowled around the hole in which I lived, and sometimes I didn't stir out for days at a time. Oh, how happy and contented I was then! I was a real rabbit, as nature made me, wild and free, and I even enjoyed listening to the startled throbbing of my own heart. I've often thought, said Dorothy, who was busily eating, that it would be fun to be a rabbit. It is fun, when you're the genuine article, agreed His Majesty. But look at me now. I live in a marble palace instead of a hole in the ground. I have all I want to eat without the joy of hunting for it. Every day I must dress in fine clothes and wear that horrible crown till it makes my head ache. Rabbits come to me with all sorts of troubles, when my own troubles are the only ones I care about. When I walk out, I can't hop and run. I must strut on my rear legs and wear an ermine robe. And the soldiers salute me, and the band plays, and the other rabbits laugh and clap their paws and cry out, Hail to the king! Now, let me ask you, as a friend and a young lady of good judgment, isn't all this pomp and foolishness enough to make a decent rabbit miserable? Once, said Dorothy reflectively, men were wild and unclothed and lived in caves and hunted for food as wild beasts do, but they got civilized in time, and now they'd hate to go back to the old days. That is an entirely different case, replied the king. None of you humans were civilized in one lifetime. It came to you by degrees. But I have known the forest and the free life, 
and that is why I resent being civilized all at once against my will, and being made a king with a crown and an ermine robe. Ha! If you don't like it, why don't you resign? she asked. Impossible! wailed the rabbit, wiping his eyes again with his handkerchief. There's a beastly law in this town that forbids it. When one is elected a king, there's no getting out of it. Who made the laws? inquired Dorothy. The same sorceress who made the town, Glinda the Good. She built the wall and fixed up the city, and gave us several valuable enchantments and made the laws. Then she invited all the pink-eyed white rabbits of the forest to come here, after which she left us to our fate. What made you accept the invitation and come here? asked the child. I didn't know how dreadful city life was, and I'd no idea I would be elected king, said he, sobbing bitterly. And, and now I'm it, with a capital I, and can't escape. I know Glinda, remarked Dorothy, eating for dessert a dish of Charlotte Russe, and when I see her again, I'll ask her to put another king in your place. Will you? Will you indeed? asked the king joyfully. I will if you want me to, she replied. Hooray! Hooray! shouted the king, and then he jumped up from the table and danced wildly about the room, waving his napkin like a flag and laughing with glee. After a time he managed to control his delight and returned to the table. When are you likely to see Glinda? he inquired. Oh, perhaps in a few days, said Dorothy. And you won't forget to ask her? Of course not. Princess, said the Rabbit King earnestly, you have relieved me of a great unhappiness, and I am very grateful. Therefore I propose to entertain you, since you are my guest and I am the king, as a slight mark of my appreciation. Come with me to my reception hall. He then summoned Bristle and said to him, Assemble all the nobility in the great reception hall, and also tell Blinkham that I want him immediately. The keeper of the wicket bowed and hurried away, and his majesty turned to Dorothy and continued, We'll have time for a walk in the gardens before the people get here. The gardens were back of the palace, and were filled with beautiful flowers and fragrant shrubs, with many shade and fruit trees, and marble-paved walks running in every direction. As they entered this palace, Blingham came running to the king, who gave him several orders in a low voice. Then his majesty rejoined Dorothy and led her through the gardens, which she admired very much. "'What lovely clothes your majesty wears,' she said, glancing at the rich blue satin costume embroidered with pearls in which the king was dressed. "'Yes,' he returned with an air of pride. "'This is one of my favorite suits, but I have a good many that are even more elaborate. We have excellent tailors in Bunnyberry, and Glinda supplies all the material. By the way, you might ask the sorceress when you see her to permit me to keep my wardrobe. But if you go back to the forest, you will not need clothes, she said. N no, he faltered, that may be so, but I've dressed up so long that I'm used to it, and I don't imagine I'd care to run around naked again, so perhaps the good Glinda will let me keep the costumes.' "'I'll ask her,' 
agreed Dorothy. Then they left the gardens and went into a fine big reception hall, where rich rugs were spread upon the tiled floors and the furniture was exquisitely carved and studded with jewels. The king's chair was an especially pretty piece of furniture, being in the shape of a silver lily with one leaf bent over to form the seat. The silver was everywhere thickly encrusted with diamonds, and the seat was upholstered in white satin. Oh, what a splendid chair! cried Dorothy, clasping her hands admiringly. Isn't it? answered the king proudly. It is my favorite seat, and I think it especially becoming to my complexion. While I think of it, I wish you'd ask Glinda to let me keep this lily chair when I go away. It wouldn't look very well in a hole in the ground, would it? she suggested. Maybe not, but I'm used to sitting in it, and I'd like to take it with me, he answered. But here come the ladies and gentlemen of the court, so please sit beside me and be presented. End of chapter 20. Chapter 21. How the king changed his mind. Just then a rabbit band of nearly fifty pieces marched in playing upon golden instruments and dressed in neat uniforms. Following the band came the nobility of Bunnyberry, all richly dressed and hopping along on their rear legs. Both the ladies and the gentlemen wore white gloves upon their paws with their rings on the outside of the gloves, as this seemed to be the fashion here. Some of the lady rabbits carried lorgnettes, while many of the gentlemen rabbits wore monocles in their left eyes. The courtiers and their ladies paraded past the king, who introduced Princess Dorothy to each couple in a very graceful manner. Then the company seated themselves in chairs and on sofas, and looked expectantly at their monarch. It is our royal duty, as well as our royal pleasure, he said, to provide fitting entertainment for our distinguished guest. We will now present the royal band of whiskered friskers. As he spoke, the musicians, who had arranged themselves in a corner, struck up a dance melody while into the room pranced the whiskered friskers. They were eight pretty rabbits dressed only in gauzy purple skirts, fastened around their waists with diamond bands. Their whiskers were colored a rich purple, but otherwise they were pure white. After bowing before the king and Dorothy, the friskers began their pranks, and these were so comical that Dorothy laughed with real enjoyment. They not only danced together, whirling and gyrating around the room, but they leaped over one another, stood upon their heads, and hopped and skipped here and there so nimbly that it was hard work to keep track of them. Finally, they all made double somersaults and turned handsprings out of the room. The nobility enthusiastically applauded, and Dorothy applauded with them. They're fine, she said to the king. Yes, the whiskered friskers are really very clever, he replied. I shall hate to part with them when I go away, for they have often amused me when I was very miserable. I wonder if you could ask Glinda. No, it wouldn't do at all, declared Dorothy positively. There wouldn't be room in the hole in the ground for so many rabbits, especially when you get the lily chair and your clothes there. 
Don't think of such a thing, Your Majesty. The king sighed. Then he stood up and announced to the company, We will now hold a military drill by my picked bodyguard of royal pikemen. Now the band played a march, and a company of white rabbit soldiers came in. They wore green and gold uniforms and marched very stiffly, but in perfect time. Their spears, or pikes, had slender shafts of polished silver with golden heads, and during the drill they handled these weapons with wonderful dexterity. I should think you'd feel pretty safe with such a fine bodyguard, declared Dorothy. I do, said the king. They protect me from every harm. I suppose Glinda wouldn't— No, interrupted the girl. I'm sure she wouldn't. It's the king's own bodyguard, and when you are no longer king, you can't have him. The king did not reply, but he looked rather sorrowful for a time. When the soldiers had marched out, he said to the company, The royal jugglers will now appear. Dorothy had seen many jugglers in her lifetime, but never any so interesting as these. There were six of them dressed in black satin, embroidered with queer symbols in silver, a costume which contrasted strongly with their snow-white fur. First they pushed in a big red ball, and three of the rabbit jugglers stood upon its top and made it roll. Then two of them caught up a third and tossed him into the air, all vanishing until only the two were left. Then one of these tossed the other upward and remained alone of all his fellows. The last juggler now touched the red ball, which fell apart, being hollow, and the five rabbits who had disappeared in the air scrambled out of the hollow ball. Next they all clung together and rolled swiftly upon the floor. When they came to a stop only one fat rabbit juggler was seen, the others seeming to be inside him. This one leaped lightly into the air, and when he came down he exploded and separated into the original six. Then four of them rolled themselves into round balls, and the other two tossed them around and played ball with them. These were but a few of the tricks the rabbit jugglers performed, and they were so skillful that all the nobility and even the king applauded as loudly as did Dorothy. "'I suppose there are no rabbit jugglers in all the world to compare with these,' remarked the king. "'And, since I may not have the whiskered friskers or my bodyguard, "'you might ask Glinda to let me take away just two or three of these jugglers, will you?' "'I'll ask her,' replied Dorothy doubtfully. "'Thank you,' said the king. "'Thank you very much. "'And now you shall listen to the winsome waggish warblers "'who have often cheered me in my moments of anguish.' The winsome, waggish warblers proved to be a quartet of rabbit singers, two gentlemen and two lady rabbits. The gentlemen warblers wore full-dress swallowtail suits of white satin with pearls for buttons, while the lady warblers were gowned in white satin dresses with long trails. The first song they sang began in this way. When a rabbit gets a habit of living in a city, and wearing clothes and furbelows and jewels rare and pretty, he scorns the bun who has to run and burrow in the ground, and pity those whose watchful foes are man and gun and hound. 
Dorothy looked at the king when she heard this song, and noticed that he seemed disturbed and ill at ease. "'I didn't like that song,' he said to the warblers. "'Give us something jolly and rollicking.' So they sang to a joyous, tinkling melody as follows. "'Bunnies gay delight to play in their fairy town secure. Every frisker flirts his whisker at a pink-eyed girl demure. Every maid in silk arrayed at her partner shyly glances. Paws are grasped, waists are clasped, as they whirl in giddy dances.' Then together, through the heather, neath the moonlight soft they stroll. Each is very blithe and merry, gambling with laughter droll. Life is fun to every one, guarded by our magic charm, for to dangers we are strangers, safe from any thought of harm. You see, said Dorothy to the king, when the song ended, the rabbits all seem to like Bunnyberry except you. And I guess you're the only one that has ever cried, or was unhappy, and wanted to get back to your muddy hole in the ground. His Majesty seemed thoughtful, and while the servants passed around glasses of nectar and plates of frosted cakes, their king was silent and a bit nervous. When the refreshments had been enjoyed by all and the servants had retired, Dorothy said, I must go now, for it's getting late, and I'm lost. I've got to find the wizard and Aunt Em and Uncle Henry and all the rest sometime before night comes, if I possibly can. Won't you stay with us? asked the king. You will be very welcome. No, thank you, she replied. I must get back to my friends, and I want to see Glenda just as soon as I can, you know. So the king dismissed his court and said he would himself walk with Dorothy to the gate. He did not weep or groan any more. But his long face was quite solemn, and his big ears hung dejectedly on each side of it. He still wore his crown and his ermine, and walked with a handsome gold-headed cane. When they arrived at the room in the wall, the little girl found Toto and Bellina waiting for her very patiently. They had been liberally fed by some of the attendants, and were in no hurry to leave such comfortable quarters. The keeper of the wicket was by this time back in his old place, but he kept a safe distance from Toto. Dorothy bade good-bye to the king as they stood just inside the wall. "'You've been good to me,' she said, "'and I thank you ever so much. And as soon as possible, I'll see Glinda and ask her to put another king in your place and send you back into the wild forest.' And I'll ask her to let you keep some of your clothes and the lily chair and one or two jugglers to amuse you. I'm sure she will do it, because she's so kind, and she doesn't like anyone to be unhappy. Ahem, <clears throat> said the king, looking rather downcast. I don't like to trouble you with my misery, so you needn't see Glinda. Oh, yes, I will, she replied. It won't be any trouble at all. "'But, my dear,' continued the king, in an embarrassed way, "'I've been thinking this subject over carefully, "'and I find there are a lot of pleasant things here in Bunnyberry "'that I would miss if I went away, so perhaps I'd better stay.' Dorothy laughed. Then she looked grave. "'It won't do for you to be a king and a crybaby at the same time,' she said. You've been making all the other rabbits unhappy and discontented with your howls about being so miserable, 
so I guess it's better to have another king.' "'Oh, no, indeed!' exclaimed the king earnestly. "'If you won't say anything to Glinda, I'll promise to be merry and gay all the time and never cry or wail again.' "'Honor bright?' she asked. "'On the royal word of a king, I promise it,' he answered. "'All right,' said Dorothy. "'You'd be a regular lunatic to want to leave Bunnyberry for a wild life in the forest, and I'm sure any rabbit outside the city would be glad to take your place.' "'Forget it, my dear. Forget all my foolishness,' pleaded the king earnestly. "'Hereafter I'll try to enjoy myself and do my duty by my subjects.' So then she left him and entered through the little door into the room in the hall, where she grew gradually bigger and bigger until she had resumed her natural size. The keeper of the wicket led them out into the forest and told Dorothy that she had been of great service to Bunnyberry because she had brought their dismal king to a realization of the pleasure of ruling so beautiful a city. "'I shall start a petition to have your statue erected beside Glinda's in the public square,' said the keeper. "'I hope you will come again some day and see it.' "'Perhaps I shall,' she replied. Then, followed by Toto and Bellina, she walked away from the high marble wall and started back along the narrow path toward the signpost. End of chapter 21